0: Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do another update episode about um, where I am in this whole IVF process and what that has been like. So, um, I'm going to do like a little background about IVF, just like what some of the terms are, maybe you don't know. um, And then kinda of go through my experience. I do wanna preface this by saying I'm not a doctor, I am just somebody who went through IVF and wanna share uh, my experience and what what I went through. Um, so yeah, first of all, IVF is in vitro fertilization and it's a method of artificial reproductive technology that helps women and men make babies. So if you are not sure why we went through IVF, you can listen to both episode one and then there's also a first bonus episode where I kind of talk about why we chose IVF versus IUI. Um, So go ahead and listen to those if you're curious. But there's a few different kinds, like once you decide that you're gonna do IVF, there's kind of a few different, we'll say like kinds of IVF. Um, So just basic IVF includes the stimming process for the woman, which I'll go into more, but that's where you have the follicles grow. And then it's the egg retrieval process. And then there's um, the combining of the sperm with the eggs and the fertilization, and then the development of the blastocysts becoming embryos. So in a regular fertilization method, they take the egg, they take a bunch of sperm, they put it in a dish, and they let the strongest sperm fertilize the egg. Then there's another way, it's called ICSI, I-C-S-I, and that's intercytoplasmic sperm insemination. Yeah. And so what ICSI is, is they take one sperm and they take an egg and they physically inject the sperm into the egg. So that's good for people who have like low sperm motility where they like can't really swim. Um, and also, like low morphology it would be good for because then the embryologist can look at all of the sperm and pick one that looks um, most normal. And then there's also something called Pixie, And this I'm not as familiar with, but what my understanding of it is, is it's the same idea as ICSI where they inject one sperm into an egg, but they do something to the sperm to figure out which one's the healthiest. Um, so if we had done the surgery, um, to try and find sperm in my husband, they may have done this, um, just to try to get like the best chance of fertilization using his sperm. So we did the ICSI route in our clinic. Um, it sounds like they really only do ICSI. They don't really do like the quote, unquote, normal IVF. Um, so that was just kind of included in our cost and in our package i guess um yeah so and i think a lot of people do exceed there. what from what i've read there's a higher chance of fertilization with that method so um it just kind of makes sense it gives you the best chance to fertilize your eggs and so looking at eggs um when i hear people talk about it there's sometimes like confusion between egg and embryo so there are there are different things. So the egg is the female um, like gamete, right? There's eggs and sperm, and egg is the female one. Um, and an egg is just that female cell. Um, an embryo is what develops after an egg is fertilized by a sperm, and when it goes through the, de- the development, it becomes an embryo, which is the beginning stages of a baby uh, and the placenta. And so when you're, so I'm just gonna go through like terminology because once I start my story, then you'll know what I'm talking about. So and there's also follicles. So you do a lot of scans going through the IVF process. And when you do those scans, it's through a transvaginal ultrasound where they stick nice old Wanda up and they look at your ovaries and they see how many follicles are growing and then how big those follicles are. So the follicles itself are not the eggs. The eggs develop inside the follicles. So you're not actually seeing eggs, you're seeing like the sac that the egg is in and the size of the follicle gives a good idea to whether and the egg that's gonna be produced by it is going to be mature or not. So my doctor wanted my follicles to be around like 20 millimeters um and that would tell her that likely there would be a mature egg inside there and then um stimming so I talked about stimming so stimming is the process of doing the injections and I'll go through like exactly what that looked like for me but that's the process where people really think about IVF um, it's where you're doing lots of shots. Um, you might be taking a couple pills. I took um, a couple pills during that. and But that's where you're plumping up those follicles. So on like a couple days before my first day of injections of stims, I went in for a baseline ultrasound. And um, so they get an idea of how many follicles you have. And then the goal is to get those follicles and they're called antral follicles, they're the really tiny ones, to get as many of those as they can to grow at the same time. So you don't want like two huge follicles and a bunch of small ones because you want them all to be kind of around the same size so that when you trigger and you do the retrieval, you have as many eggs as possible. So that is what stimming is. It's basically growing your follicles really rapidly and trying to get as many as you can. So going into my experience, um, so when I'm recording this, it's like middle of August and I went through this almost exactly a month ago. My egg retrieval was like a month and two days ago. So I started at the beginning of July and I did my um, baseline ultrasound and on that they saw that I had... Um, I didn't write it down, which I'm kind of regretting, but I want to say I had, I think like 10 on each side. So 10 on my left and 10 on my right. My uterus looked normal. Um, which is a good number. Like that is, I was happy with 10 on each side. Awesome. So, um, pre, I should say prior to, to that appointment, I was on birth control for, um, I think like 21 days. And it seems so counterintuitive, right? Like, why are you on birth control if you're trying to get pregnant? So the reason why you're on it is they, this whole process needs to be really controlled. So the doctor, my doctor wanted to control what was happening in my body and when things were happening. So what the birth control does is it suppresses any activity it suppressed any activity in my ovaries. So while I was on that, none were growing, none were releasing an egg, like they were just quiet. So that way, when it was time, when everything was quiet, and they could then start the process of, of, um, stimming and growing everything. And I would say that the birth control was possibly the worst part of it all. I really don't like the pill forms of birth control. I've never had good experience with experiences with them. Um, I was on different forms of the pill for a couple years, like very early on when I first started being on birth control. And it always just made me super emotional, really anxious, huge mood swings. Like I hated it. So then I ended up changing to things like the NuvaRing and um, the Nexplanon little implant. But for the purpose of IVF, I was on the pill. And so that process I really hated um like I said I had tons of anxiety which is not super typical for me Um, when hormones come into play then it is really typical for me but without hormones just letting my body do its normal thing I don't tend to have large amounts of anxiety Um, so that I really don't like Um, I also was really bloated on it my boobs were really sore Um, just i i would like get really irritated really quickly and kind of snappy um and it sucks because you like don't mean to be that way but it's hard not to because you have like these hormones in your body so i was on that for 21 days i want to say and then they let you so you stop the birth control and then you basically like get a period you get like a withdrawal bleed and that was cycle day one so then i think on day three And I went in for that baseline ultrasound that I talked about where they looked at uh, how many antral follicles that I had and then just kind of like my uterus just to make sure everything looked normal. So I had 10 on each side, which was awesome. And I got the go-ahead to start stims um, on July 3rd, which I think it was like two days later, maybe three days later. Um, And so that gets into stimming. So everybody's protocol and what meds they're on and how much of meds they're on totally varies. So, um, I will say what I was on, but I'm not going to say how much I was on because it literally just varies for everybody. So it doesn't really matter. This was just my experience. Um, but I will say that again, if you've listened to the episodes about our story, all my tests have come back normal. So technically I don't have any type of reason why um for t- like why getting pregnant or having a baby would be challenging for me um we have male factor infertility so with that being said my understanding is that I was just on kind of the regular dosages that they typically start people on and the regular drugs that they start people on um because she just assumed that I would respond average, like normal, like a uh, normal to, to the medication. So in the mornings I was on Menopur and uh, in the evenings I was on Gonal F. And so they wanted me to take these two dosed, doses, um, about 12 hours apart from each other. So every day at 7 30 AM I took my Menopur and every evening at 7 30 PM I took my gonalef, and then right before I went to bed, I took dexamethasone, which is a steroid. Um, and what my nurse told me about the steroid is that during the stimming process, you can your body can like start overproducing, um, like testosterone, and that can obviously cause issues. So what the steroid does is it helps stop that from happening. But they want you to take it right before bed because it's a steroid and it can cause insomnia. So I had kind of like three meds at the beginning each day. And you would, I mean, if you think about it, so 7.30 a.m., 7.30 p.m., it's definitely a lot. So you have to be kind of careful about what you're doing and where you are. You have to be, my evening ones were um, refrigerated, so you have to be around a cooler or refrigeration to make sure that that stays at the temperature it's supposed to luckily with covid um i mean luckily and not luckily but luckily i wasn't doing anything so it wasn't that big of a deal but if we had been going through this any other time where you weren't trying to stay away from people it would definitely have been um more of a barrier like being out to dinner with friends you have to bring your shots with you like it's a lot and so the menopure is actually one that you mix yourself, and so that I was really worried about. Um, you feel kind of like a scientist, which is fun, and like a doctor, because you're like drawing out syringes, and you're tapping the syringes to make all the bubbles come up, and then you're like giving it a little push to get your medicine to come out to make sure it's up, it's there's no air bubbles, and then you inject yourself, and you ice, and all the things, and so at first it's kind of fun, and then it starts to just get kind of repetitive and you're kind of ready to be done. Um, but it was. it's definitely a weird thing to be mixing these meds that you are banking on working. And so you just hope that you are mixing them correctly. They come in like little vials. And you have to take a certain amount of liquid from one and then put it into the powder of the other. And you can't shake it because that causes more air bubbles. So you have to like swirl it around. And there's all these things. And then you inject it. And... For me, the injections were not that bad. I don't really get like queasy or sketched out by shots, so it wasn't bad for me at all. I did pretty much all of my injections. My husband, who hates, 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 hates needles, I got him to do one of mine, which was like amazing. I videotaped it, and then uh, my sister did a couple of mine just because she wanted to be a part of it, which was nice. Um, so yeah, the Menopur in the morning and that one can be kind of stingy. So if you're listening to this and you know you're going to take Menopur, inject slowly. That was really helpful for me. And then also icing before was super helpful. Um, I, I know online I've like read some, a lot of people don't ice, but I felt like that was really easy. You don't even feel the needle going into your belly. And then my evening one, the Gonal F, um, that one was super easy. Like I didn't feel a thing every time I did it. Um, That one, mine was in a pen and so you just turn this little dial and it changes the dosage and then you just press the bottom of the pen once you inject it. Super, super easy. That's one that had to be refrigerated though. Yeah, so I did that for a few days. Um, The first few days of this were not great. Um, I felt really tired because you cut out all caffeine, all alcohol. At least this is what my clinic told me. No alcohol, no caffeine, no herbal teas. Um, so, and I'm, I, I like coffee. I don't drink usually fully caffeinated things just because like I have this like little heart, uh, heart thing that caffeine just makes my heart kind of fluttery. And so I really only do half caffeine, but even cutting out half caffeinated was enough to really take me out the first few days um I would say that was the worst part in the the first few days of it I was just exhausted but I didn't really feel that bad um I would say like on day three I was maybe bloated and I thought like oh maybe things are starting to grow looking back I don't think I really was not (laughs) knowing now what bloating really is when you're going through IVF um so yeah, the beginning wasn't that bad. I did have, which was weird, um, like on day four and five, I think all the, even like day six, I had really bad low back pain and I was trying to like reach out to people and ask if other people had this too. It wasn't like cramps in my low back. It was like a low back ache, like a constant ache and So I was using a heating pad, and that actually was really helpful, but when I talked to my doctor, she didn't want me to use my heating pad on my belly. Um, I don't really know why, but so she was like, yeah, on your back, it should be okay, but just, like, try not to keep it on all day long. So I used it on and off, which helped. Um, but on day four, so four days into stims, I went in again and they checked to see just what's happening. And it's not like four days in, you probably won't see a ton happening. You'll see a little bit of growth. Um, but they, uh, they found, they found like 16 follicles. So it's kind of interesting. So when I went in, I had 10 on each side so 20 and then when I went on day four I had 16 so I don't know if it's who's doing the ultrasound like what they're seeing if it's just how they get the angle they get that day I don't know or if things are really fluctuating if if you can lose follicles or if you can gain follicles I don't know the answers to that um But I had 16 that day, and that monitoring appointment was super uncomfortable Um, on the left ovary. I don't know if other people who have had uh, transvaginal ultrasounds have felt this, but my nurse was like, yeah, it's pretty typical. The left ovary, just how it's situated normally, it's kind of hard to get a clear picture. So they have to, like, sorry if this is TMI, but they have to, like, really maneuver it in a way that puts like a lot of pressure internally and it was super super uncomfortable and crampy but luckily over pretty quickly um and then they after that they always so that was with like an ultrasound tech and then um my nurse would call me at like two o'clock in the afternoon after she had talked to the doctor and tell me okay either continue with what you're doing or you're going to change this med this way or just whatever they wanted me to do. So on day four, they actually upped my dosage of gonalef. So I will say I was at 150 starting off and they upped me to 225. So not a huge jump, but, um, but a jump. And so I just continued doing that, um, and went back. So that was day four. And then on day six, I went back and I was feeling okay And then at my appointment, there were still just lots of small follicles and there were a couple that were growing, but not majorly. Like, I was a little bit bummed and I got a little bit worried this day. Like, is this going to work? Are we going to get enough eggs? Are we going to have enough embryos? Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like, it seems like more should be happening than what actually happened. Um, And so I just kept... Doing what I was doing, and they kept me on that same dosage. Um, day seven, my low back pain started going away, luckily, and I felt good that day. And then again, that's kind of a mind trick because you're like, oh shit, I'm like feeling good. Is it working? And one of my friends who um, has gone through it, she was like, don't read into it. You will literally f- like freak yourself out if you read into every little feeling and pain. Um, so I was like, okay, it's you know what? I go back tomorrow, we'll see what, what happens then. So then I went back on day nine and they saw about eight that were a good size and growing. Um, and so that was exciting and that was good. And I had about 10 to 12 like kind of smaller ones. Um, I don't remember exactly the sizes on this day, But I want to say, like, maybe my biggest ones were like 11, like 11-ish. And then the smaller ones were like 6. And they kept me on, they kept me on everything. Um, And I just kept doing, kept doing my thing. And then I think on day 10... Is when I added in the cetratide so typically like when I got my calendar at the beginning of this whole process they uh, had it written out where I would stim for 10 days so on day 9 they could tell like I was nowhere near ready for triggering they were not at the size they needed to be so I actually stimmed for 13 days and then triggered on the evening of that 13th day um, so from day nine to day 13, that was great. There was a lot of growth. Um, I ended up I, I think the day that I my last appointment that I triggered or the day that I triggered, they ha- i I had like 22 follicles ranging between, I think the smallest was like eight or nine, and the biggest were like 18 ish. Um, and I had more in like the 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 kind of range. Um, and so I did ask, okay, so from this appointment to the egg retrieval, is it likely that they grow a little bit more? And they had me do one more gonal F like PM injection. And she said that was meant to be like one more little booster just to get a little bit more growth out of them. So, throughout the whole stim process, physically, I would say it wasn't horrible. Like the injections weren't awful. Um, emotionally, I actually was kind of pleasantly surprised. I had a feeling that I was gonna be crazy on them, be super emotional. Um, I tend to get kind of snippety and short. Like I don't have much, um, patience, but it seemed okay. There was one day that I was kind of weepy in the beginning, um, but that was pretty much it. Overall, I think I was just feeling excited and like we are taking steps forward to make our baby and grow our family. So I think I just felt like finally we're doing something. Like we're not waiting. We're making progress. Like I can see. I can see the. I can see the end goal. Like we're getting there, um, but. It just is a lot. It was a lot of brain space. Um, luckily, again, because COVID, um, my work schedule was very very light, um, and that was super helpful during this process. I think if I had been working and had this my schedule that I had pre COVID, it would have been a lot, and I think I might have needed to take time off of things. Um, I'm a bar three instructor and then I'm a pediatric OT. And both jobs, obviously an exercise instructor, you can't do exer- you can't exercise while you're going through IVF and stimming. Um, and so I would have had to not do that. And then OT, like I'm playing with kids all day and sometimes they're very uh, spontaneous and erratic and you're moving a lot. And so towards the end of the stimming, I probably would have had to maybe just be careful. So it was actually really nice. I was able to really listen to my body and rest when I needed to rest and just take it really easy, which I think contributed to um, me having good results. Like I let my body just do what it needed to do, um, which was really awesome. Um, Yeah, so on that 13th day, they had me trigger so Lucky me, our uh, egg retrieval was going to be at 10 30 two days from then. So that was a Wednesday that I triggered, and my egg retrieval was going to be Friday. So, the reason why you trigger uh, that far ahead is it's about 35 hours from trigger to ovulation. And so they want you ovulating right around when your retrieval happens so that those eggs are there and ready to be grabbed by the doctor when she's doing the retrieval. So because it's like a weird number it's 30 I think they had me at like 35 and a half hours or 35 hours um I had to do my triggers in the middle of the night so I had to wake up at my first one was at 12 30 and so I had to do an injection of prednal at 12 30 and this one they had me doing intramuscularly, so that one ended up going in my butt and then I had to do wake up then again at 1 30 and I did a loop run shot in my belly and then I think it was 12 hours from that I did another loop run shot in my belly again so it was like 12 30 1 30 and then 1 30 uh in the afternoon that following day on Thursday um the intramuscular shot wasn't that bad I had my sister do that one and I iced before, and it was fine. Um, I was worried about it because they're really big needles. Um, they're very long, and, I mean, they go into your muscles. So you just, you know, it's kind of big. But it wasn't bad. I definitely recommend icing. Um, Oh, I don't think I said this. So I mentioned that I added Cetratide in my last, like, three days or four days. So what Cetratide does is it makes sure your body doesn't ovulate. So once your follicles get really big, like in a normal cycle, you grow a follicle. It gets to a certain size. It releases an egg. You don't want your eggs to be released until the doctor wants your eggs to be released and you do your egg retrieval. So the Cetratide stops that from happening. If you are going through IVF and you're using Cetratide, it causes, at least for me, and I've seen this other places, so I wasn't alarmed when it happened to me, it caused like a raised bump after, almost like a hive, and it was really itchy. And so once that happened, I started icing before and after, and that was really helpful. Um, It didn't really burn going in, but afterwards it was like super, super itchy on my skin. So just know that happened to me if that happens to you and the icing was helpful okay so that's the whole stimming process overall I would say maybe it was like a 10 being so uncomfortable like a like a seven or eight I will say the last few days like I was I felt full like my low abdomen abdominal area felt really full I definitely had like a bigger pooch on my tummy um if I like tightened my shirts like you could have maybe thought that I was early pregnant which is a really fucked up thing because it's like I'm trying to get pregnant and so to kind of look pregnant is a stupid mind game that happens but um yeah, I just felt, like, full. Like, your are crampy. It feels, like, heavy. Like, your ovaries feel heavy. And that's not surprising because I have, like, 20, 21, I think, follicles that were larger than normal. Um, but overall, not horrible. So you do the trigger, and then you do your egg retrieval. And so my egg retrieval was on Friday. I had to get there an hour before my appointment. And what was kind of sad about this was, again, because of COVID, um, well, first of all, my husband didn't go to any of the appointments, which I probably wouldn't really have had him go to the ones before because they were really fast and, you like, what was he going to do? He was going to stand there. But I would have loved him to be there and, like, be with me before I went in. But unfortunately, he wasn't even allowed in the office so our clinic they do everything in-house um all pretty much all my blood draws I could get done there um all the ultrasound appointments all the monitoring appointments the egg retrieval is there the transfer is there everything's there which is really nice but so he wasn't allowed to come in so he kind of just dropped me at the door um which was kind of a bummer so I like went back and I was sitting by myself like in my gown with my IVF socks on with my mask on, um, just like waiting to be rolled back to do this huge thing for our family. And so that was kind of sad for me because I really wished that he had been able to be there and kind of been waiting for me. Like when I got out, he wasn't there when I got out and woke up from under the sedation. So that was one thing that was, um, kind of a bummer through this process, but it's, it's okay. So I go back and they have me change into a gown and I fill out like all these consent forms and the anesthesia forms. And then um, the anesthesiologist is actually the one who kind of like prepped me to go back. So she put in an IV in my hand and the sedation that I had was just like twilight sedation. So it was through an IV. Um, but I literally don't remember anything about it. So it was very good like i i couldn't even tell you what happened during the retrieval process because i don't remember at all um but they wheeled me back and they like had me like slide over to the i guess operating table if you want to call that in the or um which is kind of crazy because i've only had a couple other procedures and i definitely don't remember going into the or i had kind of um meds before those surgeries because they were bigger procedures um but it's very cold um it smells like very obviously very sterile um yeah so they had me slide over onto the operating table and you wear a mask i mean everybody has to wear a mask right now in this COVID time so i had my mask on and they put some oxygen on me and then she was basically just like okay you're gonna start to feel sleepy And that was like the last thing that I remember until I woke up back where I was before they wheeled me in um, and I had my phone on me. So I don't know if I asked Mother Nurse for my phone or or what in the days, but um, yeah, it was super easy. While I was under, I knew they were going to do the hysteroscopy, so they did that while I was under, um, which I was super down for because I've heard they can be uncomfortable. So I was like, yeah, just do that while uh, I'm semi-conscious and then we waited afterwards you have to wait a little while for you to like fully like kind of come out of sedation Um, so I woke up and like I said I had my phone on me so I texted my husband and he was actually able to come back for a little bit um, before we left so he came back um, and so we were just sitting there kind of waiting and we were waiting to find out how many eggs we got so I bet afterwards I was there like an extra maybe like hour um so I think I was there a total of like two hours the whole procedure was about like 45 minutes to an hour I want to say because they had to do the hysteroscopy and stuff so he was back there and we waited and we found out that we got 29 eggs which was amazing um We didn't know how many were mature, but we were super happy with 29. It was no wonder why I felt so full going into that. I had a lot of follicles. Um, But, yes, we were really happy with that. We um, ended up just going home, and I had him get me an iced coffee, waiting for me in the car because I missed my coffee and caffeine so that was my little like post retrieval treat and we went home and I just rested the rest of the day I used a heating pad that was one of the things that I heard was like a must post egg retrieval heating pad helping with the cramping and the bloating um you want to eat I took it pretty easy for food just because I did have sedation so I didn't have like any crazy meals I think I had like um like soup when I got home, um, and like crackers and just kind of ate kind of easily. But then the next day, as I ate normal, um, yeah, just laid on the couch and and watched TV the whole day, and then towards the end of the day, I could tell that whatever pain meds they gave me were definitely wearing off. Um, I started to get more crampy and like a bloated feeling. And that only progressed for the next, I would say, three to four days. Um, I was at high risk for OHSS, and OHSS is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So this is something that people who have a lot of eggs and a lot of follicles can get, and it can be really serious. There's kind of different um, grades of it. There's like mild, moderate, and severe And so mild is more like the cramping, um, bloating, like pain in your abdomen, um, and then it can go to where you can't like go pee, and you can, it can get so bad that where you like can't breathe. So, and it's basically just retaining tons of fluid, so you're like full of fluid, and why you can't breathe is it starts to push on your diaphragm, which affects your breathing. So that's where it gets really bad, and you have to go to the hospital. But because I was at a higher risk, they had me start this protocol for it right away. So I took a, um, like a, I called it my vagina pill, but, because that's what it is, you, it was a pill that you put up your vagina, and what, it was called cabergoline. So you did that every night, and then your everybody takes, I'm assuming everybody takes a antibiotic because they like poked inside of you and you can get an infection. Um, and then I also had to continue the cetratide for four more days. So I did have a little bit extra injections. Um, but this feeling after in like the four days after retrieval was really tough. Um, I had to like hold my stomach when I walked and I was like hunched over walking because it was really, really crampy and super full. So the way that I would describe it is like when you eat a huge meal and you're so full that you can't even like take a deep breath because your belly is so stretched and full. That's how it felt. Um, laying in bed, When I was watching TV, I had to, like, sit upwards more because it took some of, like, the pressure off. Um, And then sleeping, the first few nights, I slept with the heating pad on me. Like, I put it under me and I laid on my belly, and that was helpful. Um, But it is really, really uncomfortable. Um, You're supposed to drink a lot of electrolytes and eat a lot of protein, and so I was doing that. I was basically not drinking normal water. Um, I got Gatorade and I got this, I think it's called like re like hydrate. It's by Redmond's, the salt company. And it's an electrolyte powder that you put in water. And I actually really liked it. It tasted pretty good. Um, and I think that helped a lot. So I would make like big things of that and then Gatorade and, um, and protein. And so I had about four days of feeling super, un- super uncomfortable um. Yeah, it wasn't I mean it wasn't horrible, but it definitely was uncomfortable. Once like that fourth day, like on day 5, I would say I was I would start to feel better. I was able to like move stop the heating pad. I um was working again. Um yeah, it was like those four those first 4 days that were pretty tough. And so we got a call on, on the next day. We got a call the next day about how many of our eggs were mature and how many of our eggs fertilized. So we learned that, so we got 29 eggs. We found out that 25 were mature. And then we found out that 19 were fertilized. So that was a great number um, when I was, I was wondering if there were, like, statistics for what... Because it's not uncommon, actually, it's super common to have these huge drops in numbers the further you go down, like, the week um, of development towards embryos. So, like, you get a number of eggs retrieved, and then you might have a big jump to the number mature, and then you might have a big jump to the number fertilized, and so on and so on. So I was definitely anticipating um, a lot to maybe to the number not to be super high so 19 I felt really good about and really confident about um I think when I looked up it was like 80 percent of eggs that or yeah of eggs that they attempted to fertilize would fertilize and so I think we were like right around that 80 percent mark I guess no we were at 65 percent but either way I felt really good about the number that we had fertilized So our clinic, they don't update you until day seven. And so the reason why they do that is because they, um, I don't actually know why they don't like check them during the week and update you. I was okay with it because I know that like let's say on day three you only have a certain number growing that doesn't mean that they're not going to grow so I kind of liked that I didn't know what was happening until it was the end and that's the number that we got um and they actually go till day seven a lot of clinics they let them develop until day six and um ours they go till day seven and actually we ended up having an embryo that was a day seven embryo so I was a blastocyst so I was happy with with the fact that they waited till day seven. It is a really long week. Um, I was very nervous just because I'm usually pretty positive, but I didn't want to be like blindsided. I didn't want to think, oh yeah, like we're going to have great numbers, no problem, and have these really high expectations and then those not be met and be devastated. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to think like, kind of like borderline and hope that it's around that. And then if it's more, I'll be super excited. So I was really hoping that we would have, by the end of it all, after the genetic testing, after everything, that we would have five. And so we learned on day seven that we had eight. And so... I was a little bit disappointed. I was like, okay, I kind of want 10 because then half of them, if they're not normal, then it will be five. We got eight and I mean, what else are you gonna do? That's the number you got. So everybody that I talked to was like, that's amazing. And so that made me feel better. So we got eight and then they froze them. And we had, I know the gradings don't really matter. Um, We had a couple day, I think we had four on day five three on day six, and one on day seven was how they grew. Um, and so in talking to the embryologist, it sounds like the day fives are, if you want to say best, they're the best embryos. They're the highest graded just because they were able to become a blastocyst like first and on that fifth day. So that sh- shows that they're higher graded. That's was my understanding from our conversation. Um, but overall, we were happy with that. And so then we were doing genetic testing. Um, our clinic really recommends it. And they have like their own type of, of genetic testing. So they froze our embryo. They biopsied them, froze them, and then sent the biopsies off. And so then that means we would wait like another two weeks. And so after that, it was just kind of going back to business, like going back to normal life. Um, I... Got my period 10 days later and I heard like these horror stories about your first period after the egg retrieval and it wasn't that bad. It was my normal like three-ish days. It was a little bit heavier the first day but not really. Like I would, I wouldn't say it was any worse. So I was thankful for that. Um, But yeah, once that happened I felt pretty much back to normal. Um, I will say that throughout the whole process, um... I've gained weight and that's been kind of hard and I know that it's because the emotional piece of all this um, I'm somebody who eats <laughs> when they um, are emotional and being on these hormones and just like going through all this my like cravings change so I I Salads sounded horrible like what I was used to eating salads fresh veggies all these things sounded so awful to me and like bread sounded really good or um like steamed rice sounded really good these things that I eat but not as much and that's just like all my body wanted so I let my body have that but the side effect of that was that my body has just changed through going through all of this. And I also think that there is an element of mind-body connection with uh, trauma. And I would say that learning about our diagnosis and going through that process has felt traumatic. And I think my body is in a fight or flight, and it's fighting. And in order to fight and in order to survive, it's doing whatever it needs to. Um, and so that's been really tricky. Um, but during the two weeks waiting to hear back our results, things were normal. Um, I was pretty good during that time. Obviously, I wanted to know what was happening, but I knew it was going to be two weeks. So worrying wasn't going to help. Um, so we ended up finding out our results on a Saturday. Um, Our doctor called us on a Saturday, which I really appreciated because we had an appointment set for Friday, and then she hadn't found out our results yet. So then she called us when she had them, which was the following day, and we found out that we have five normal embryos and one, she said inconclusive, and I think that's the same thing as mosaic. People can correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, the result was inconclusive from the biopsy. So they would either need, they would need, to like thaw it and then re-biopsy it and send that off to get a better understanding. So what they recommend is that it can be used for a transfer. So we technically have six available embryos to transfer, which is really exciting. Um, so we went from eight to six and I feel really good about that. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful for that number. I know a lot of people don't get that number um some people have nothing after the genetic testing and my heart just goes out to you if you're one of those people going through everything you go through and then having that learning that none that you have nothing from it would be really hard um i feel so grateful that i went through one round there's people who go through multiple rounds to get one viable embryo so for any of you out there who that's you like know that just I I understand how hard that is um yeah it's it it would be really really hard like thinking about if before we found out that we have a good number. And by no means is this saying like we're going to get a baby from this. Transfers fail all the time. I feel hopeful that we'll get at least one child from these six. Um, but you, you're you never guaranteed anything. And just thinking about doing another cycle. Would I do it? Yes. But the thought of doing it is just overwhelming And, like, I don't want to do it again. No one wants to go through IVF. No one wants to inject themselves. No one wants to feel like shit. No one wants to have to do that surgery. No one wants to pay for another round. Like, no one wants to do it. We do it because we want a baby and we want to grow our family and we want the end result. But nobody wants to do that. So if you know someone who's gone through multiple rounds, just understand it's really hard work, and um, they've been through a lot. That's pretty much my experience up until now. Um, We have learned that we are going to be able to start the transfer process soon. I'm back on my best friend, birth control, um, and I've been on it for about two-ish weeks now, and I have maybe like Six days left so I'm looking at a mid-September transfer which I'm very excited about um but yeah this whole process has been quite a whirlwind I feel like we're still um not process well yeah we're still processing the like donor piece of it I don't think that's ever going to go away I think that um It's just going to change. Like once we move past one thing, then something new will come up and we'll have to process that. And then once we have our baby, then that's a whole new thing. And then once our kids grows up, that's a whole other thing. So I think it's just taking it step by step. But um, I've noticed that I don't um, think about it quite as much. I will say that since deciding to use a donor and kind of accepting that's our path, which I feel very uh, accepted about that. I'm now envisioning our baby the way that we're making it now, like pre-diagnosis and learning um, about what this path to parenthood was going to look like. I was like, I've said this on an episode before, I was really envisioning our kids like I was like okay take part these things about my husband these things about me put them on a human and that's gonna be our baby but now I feel like our future kids like the picture looks different it's less what they're gonna look like which is so small in the grand scheme of who a person is and it's a lot more of like how our family's gonna be um what kind of relationship we're gonna have with our kids because we're gonna be honest. I feel like, and I said this to my husband, I said, you know, I think that the first few years of our life with our kids and like at certain ages might be harder than other people who don't have this piece to their story. But I think if we are just open with our kids, we're gonna have a really amazing relationship with them and with each other and just as a family. I think we'll be a really, really strong family. And so now I this picture that I have in my head is shifted and um and I'm excited about, about what that looks like. I'm I'm um, yeah, I think it's less about what our kid looks like and it's more like just who they're gonna be and what we're gonna teach them and um and and how we're going to be with them. And I think that in the grand scheme of, like I said, in the grand scheme of life, uh, that's more important than does our kid look like their dad or their mom. So I think that's mostly everything. That was a really long episode. Um, please continue to reach out. I've had more people reaching out, um, who have similar stories to us. And It's still so helpful for me to hear from other people. I by no means am like an expert on this. I'm by no means a, uh, like, I don't even know, like someone who's far down this road. I'm just talking out loud because it helps me heal and I'm hoping it helps other people Um, who are also in this process. So I need um, support just like everyone else needs support. So if you're in a similar situation to us or if you are struggling with infertility, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've really enjoyed um, talking to other men and women and couples. Um, And as always, check out the um, other episodes on Apple, Spotify, all podcast platforms they sh- that the, the podcast should be there so find us on there on apple you can always leave a rating and a review and that helps um kind of spread the word and you can reach out over instagram at the pineapple sorry at the underscore pineapple podcast that's the indes- instagram handle and then my email is the pineapple podcast.stories at gmail.com Thank you guys so much for listening and for being on this journey with me. Um, It definitely feels awesome to be a part of this community. So thank you so much. Bye, guys. See you next week.